These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, the system of sacrifices that Israel had to follow. And we're going to be not focusing on each individual one, uh, what they did, how they were done, and breaking them down, but we're gonna be focused on what was kind of the point, what was the overarching thing in all of these. Uh, because obviously with the many different sacrifices that they were commanded to offer, they each had different purposes. So this is an overview of what are those purposes and what do we, why should we care? Uh, why should we dig into this? What does it affect us as Christians no longer under this system? So we're gonna be looking at those questions. As we begin, it should be noted that there are kind of three big categories of the sacrifices in this system. There's the, uh, the mandatory offerings. These are required to be done when something happens. Action occurs, sacrifice must be made. Then there's uh, obedience offerings, ones that are not required, but you need to do them if you're to be obedient to the words of the Lord. And then finally, there's the third category, which is the uh, fellowship offerings or the peace offering. It has so many different names and even in the same translation, it will bounce around between different names. It makes the sacrifice very confusing to nail down. Uh, and we'll cover those different names a little bit so that when you read it, you'll be able to identify that, yes, this is all the same one. But let's start looking a little bit at these. So we're starting off with the mandatory offerings. There were two mandatory offerings. There was the sin offering and the guilt offering. We're only going to be reading a passage on one of them because the sacrifice itself is identical. It's identical between the two. Uh, and the actions that result in having to offer one of these seem to even overlap at points. Uh, the basic idea is one is for more intentional sins. So you sinned because you wanted to do this thing. The other one is more on unintentional sins. You did something without intent, that uh, violated the law, and now you need to offer uh, this sacrifice. So we're going to read Leviticus 4, 27 through 31, to get a little bit of a window into what this, these sacrifices are. Okay, that's what I was pausing for, because I wondered. This one? Okay. That'll help a little bit because these are definitely denser passages. There we go, okay. So follow along with me as we go into Leviticus 4, 27 through 31. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things the Lord's commands ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his fingers and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all of the rest of its blood at the base of the altar and all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord and the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. So this first category is mandatory offerings. When you sin, you have to give uh, one of these sacrifices. Uh, they don't literally cover your sins. They're symbolic coverings. They're reminders of the punishment that you deserve for that sin you've committed. 
you're making atonement in a very uh, uh, visceral, in a very, uh, you know, bloody, obvious way. You are forced to be confronted with the reality of your sin. Uh, generally, when we think of the sacrifices, we think of the priests offering them. But if you notice in there, who's the one that kills it? It's the person who committed the sin. You have to actually, uh, uh, you're the one that actually has to kill this animal. So again, you're confronted face to face, inescapably, with what has been done and the price that is required for it. You actually have to get, I mean, it, it's the term, blood on your hands. You actually have to get the blood on your hands doing this. Uh, that's not where that term comes from, but I'm just saying that you literally get the blood that has to be shed to cover sins on your hands. Again, it's very visceral. It's very in your face. It's very inescapable what's going on. But let's continue on and let's look at the next category of uh, offerings and we'll start to compare the differences between these. So we're going to look at the burnt offering, uh, which again is an obedience offering. It's one that's not required. It's not, you know, you sin, that triggers this, now you have to offer this. No, it's a voluntary act of obedience, of uh, it's very worshipfully minded. You can't not do it and still be a good uh, Jew, but it's not a requirement to move forward. So Leviticus 1, 3 through 9, <clears throat> if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill it, kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. But his entrails and his legs uh, he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So when you initially hear that, it may not sound like there's that much different between the two, uh, but there is a lot of difference. We didn't read everything that you could read. These are very short sections. Uh, you have to read whole lot longer sections of Leviticus to get all the details. But the burnt offering, if you notice in there, everything, every piece of it, once it's cut up, is put on the altar. 100% of it, excluding... Uh, you wash off uh, the dirt from it and you take the dung from the animal and you take it outside of the camp. You take the unclean things away. Uh, but 100% of it is burnt on the altar to God. This is different than the sin offering. The sin offering, only the fat portions were burned on the altar to God. Uh, the rest of it was actually uh, eaten by the priests. So there's a lot of other differences, but that's the biggest, biggest, most obvious difference. 100% of the burnt offering is burned and given to God. Sin offering is about more the, uh, the blood and the covering. Uh, it's, again, triggered by sins committed, whereas this one is done by choice, by will. I want to be obedient. God's asked me to give this offering and I'm going to do it for him. And I'm going to give 100% of this. I'm going to take this animal from my herd and I'm going to give 100% of it to God. I'm going to burn all of it on the altar only to God. No one else, nothing else, 100% goes to God. That's the point of it. It's an act of worship, an act of giving 
to God freely, willingly, worshipfully. Now, in those uh, uh, obedience offerings, there's another one. Uh, there's the grain offering. So we had the two sin offerings. Now we have the two uh, obedience offerings, the two offerings you can give to be obedient to God. And we're going to look at the grain offering in Leviticus 2, 1 through 3. And I, I will be breaking this down a lot more once we get past the actual Leviticus sections. I know this is going to be a lot of just information real quick. Uh, but Leviticus 2, 1 through 3. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. And she shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial portion on the altar, uh, as a memorial portion, as a, a tithe, as a saying of, you know, all of this belongs to the Lord uh, symbolically, though we're going to keep the rest of it for another purpose. Uh, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. This was the, this was literally uh, the priest's food supply. They would take this grain and they would use it to make bread and they would eat it. They would eat that and they would eat the meat they got and that was how they lived. Uh, this was an offering to the temple for its service to the priests. And there's actually a wonderfully long list of ways you can prepare this. You can bake it into cakes. You can make little flat cakes out of it. Uh, you can do all sorts of things with it. It's really interesting, the uh, recipe book you have for making uh, meals for the priests. Uh, but another part of this, again, this is voluntary, this is an act of worship, this is an act of obedience. It's not required in the sense of uh, you have to do this or else, but it's required in the sense of being obedient. Uh, but think about what's being asked here, fine flour. Uh, where are they when they're being given all of these these uh, offerings? Where are they when they're being told how to do this, this sacrificial system? Yes, they're wandering in the desert. They're wandering in a wilderness. They're wandering in a barren landscape. Think about how precious uh, grain would have been at this time. It also gives you another little insight that though we think of wandering in the continuous sense, they were wandering nomadically. They would plant roots in places for years at a time. Uh, they weren't walking every single day. Uh, so they have enough time to grow grain, but they're still in a barren landscape. Yet God is saying, if you love me, if you want to be obedient to my commands, you will take some of that grain and you will give it to me and you will trust in me to provide for you. I'm the Lord that's giving you manna every day. You don't have to worry about uh, uh, your sustenance. I'll take care of you. So give to me what I require. Give to the service of my priests. Give to the service of my temple. Provide for them. So it's, again, it's an offering of provision. It's giving of uh, what you have, giving of what you produce, giving of your abundance, even though this time there was no abundance, giving all of this to the service of the temple to the priests. And again, with an acknowledgement in there, a memorial portion given to God saying, hey, Lord, this is yours. This is all yours. 100% of it is yours. We're giving you a portion to remind us of that. And then the rest goes to the service, the work of your, uh, your workmen, your priests. But we have one more category, and actually we only have one more uh, sacrifice in general, which is the fellowship offering or the peace offering. Uh, I, there's even a couple other names that are occasionally used uh, that escape me right now, but most translations you're going to see, it's going to be fellowship, peace offering, and they'll use them interchangeably. 
uh, you get the right translation and they will use them in the same sentence. Uh, but they're referring to the same thing. It can be very confusing when you're reading Leviticus because of all the cross-referencing in these uh, offerings. So what is the, the, this, this last one? What is this, this fellowship offering and why is it different and why is it a whole different category? Leviticus 3, 1 through 5. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Uh, and if you notice so far, all of them have to be without blemish. All of them. Uh, cleanliness is important to the Lord. You do not bring uncleanliness to God. You do not bring subpar to God. And he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And uh, from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering of the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire, and it is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Uh, so you take this, you offer it, just like any other ones, blood is sprinkled on the altar, uh, and then you take all the fat portions, they're burned as a food offering to the Lord. Uh, there's a little bit more to this one, so we're going to continue on in Leviticus 7, 28 through 34. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. Again, you physically bring this. You're the one that's doing a lot of this. Uh, he shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. We have a couple sort of sub-offerings as well, uh, but they're all attached to another one. Uh, but the priest would take uh, the animal's breast uh, once it's cut and then wave it before the altar as a memorial saying, hey, this, this belongs to you, Lord. Uh, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. They keep it, they eat it. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Same thing. They take the right thigh. That's part of their food supply. Uh, whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. Whoever does the work gets the meat. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. Again, it's part of that provision for the priests. They are to... Uh, to take this, again, as their sustenance, to live, to exist, to eat. They need to eat, they need food. And though uh, there's a portion of the sin offering that they can take, sin offerings were the rarest of the offerings. They were the least offered, whereas the fellowship offering is, uh, in an ideal setting, is the most offered. And we'll explain why in just, just a moment. And we're, we're almost done with Leviticus. We're going to read a couple more things, uh, a few more verses about this peace offering, and then we're done with Leviticus, and we'll start having a little bit more fun breaking this down. So, a few selected passages from Leviticus 7, uh, verses 18, 21, 25, and 27, just so we don't have to read the whole thing. Uh, if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats it uh, shall bear his iniquity. Verse 21, and if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanliness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, 
and then eat some of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. Verse 25, for every person who eats of the fat, the fat that's all, again, supposed to be gathered and burnt on the altar, uh, of the animal of which a peace offering may be made to the Lord, shall be cut off from his people. Whoever eats any blood, again, of the, the sacrifice, that person shall be cut off from his people. It's a very, very interesting thing that out of all the sacrifices, that of all these offerings, it's the peace offering, the, the fellowship offering that has all these restrictions on it. Uh, now, one of the reasons it has these restrictions is if you pay attention in there, it keeps talking about the eating of it, the eating of it, the eating of it. Uh, but if you realize it's not talking about the priests. After the priests get their portion and they eat it, God gets his portion and he, in the fire, eats it. Uh, then you take the rest and you eat it. Uh, and you usually have a feast with it. You need to have your friends and family and you'd all eat it together. Uh, it's a symbolic act of fellowshipping, of uh, uh, having peace, sitting at the peace table with God and with his priests. You're all eating this meal together. Now, one of these things, one of these things, one of the things with this, you have to offer the sin offering. You have to offer your guilt offering. You have to be covered by the blood your sins covered, again, symbolically uh, covered, before you can be obedient, before you can offer uh, grain offerings and uh, burnt offerings. They're detestable and unacceptable things unless you're covered by the blood. So again, you have to be covered by that blood, sacrifice for your sins, then you can offer, be obedient and offer what is commanded by the Lord to be obedient. Give 100% of something to the Lord. Give to his service. Then once you've done those things, then you're allowed to offer the fellowship offering. You're allowed to have the, the peace offering. You're allowed to sit down at table with God and his priests and eat. That is actually why the peace offering has all these requirements on it. One, because again, you're sitting at table with God. Symbolically, but you're sitting at table with God. You're eating meal with God. You do not disrespect God at his table. That's why all these requirements and restrictions are there. You do not disrespect God at his table. Uh, but you have to have made yourself clean and obedient to the Lord before you can sit at his table, before you can have that true fellowship with him. Uh, so there's also a pattern in this system. And we usually think of the, the sacrifice for sins, but I hope already you're seeing there's a lot more going on in this system. There's sacrificing for sins, there's obedience and worship, there's fellowshipping. This is a much more interesting and deep and great system. So now that we've got an overview, an overview of what this is, an overview of what this, this system is, Let's start answering some questions and break it down. And this is the fun part. So the first thing, uh, the simple thing, did they remove sin? Did this sacrificial system remove your sin? Pay for it, were you covered? Uh, Hebrews 10, one through four. For since the law has been but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Again, the point of these sacrifices, specifically the guilt offering, was a reminder of the sins that you've committed, the, the blood that you have to get on your hands offering that should be yours. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, that question is simply answered. No, these sacrifices did not cover sins. They didn't cover sins back then. They don't cover them now. 
only the, the true sacrifice of Christ does. So we're no longer under the law. That's, that's been made clear. So this means nothing to us. This, this whole system means nothing to us, right? We can just skip reading Leviticus, not relevant to us, right? Uh, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Christ is not removing what was commanded, what was given to us. He did not obliterate, detach, disconnect the Old Testament from uh, our lives. No, but instead they testify of them. He is here fulfilling them. They do not go away. Okay, so it means something to us. Uh, we still need the covering of blood uh, of a sacrifice to enter into the holy presence of God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Through Jesus's sacrifice, we can enter into the presence of God. They had to offer all these uh, uh, ceremonial sacrifices, ceremonially making themselves clean, uh, symbolically representing who would come uh, and give us the perfect sacrifice. Uh, but we still need that blood covering. That's why Jesus came to die for our sins. And that's what these visceral, bloody sacrifices were pointing towards. Okay, what about us? The fun question, the interesting question, the question that takes the Old Testament, that takes Leviticus, a book often overlooked and underpreached, and connects it to us. What about us? What does this system mean for us today? What do these different sacrifices, everything we looked at of them, what does it mean for us today? Well, the easy one. The, the uh, sin and uh, guilt offering. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, we already talked about we need that covering, that blood covering to enter the holy presence of God. And so I'm just reminding us of that here. We need that sacrifice that Christ offered. Christ is our, uh, our sacrificial lamb. He is our Passover lamb. He is the one whose blood covers us so that judgment passes over. He is the ultimate sin offering. He is our guilt offering. That's what every single uh, uh, mandatory offering, every sin and guilt offering was pointing towards was that ultimate one that would finally take away these sins. They had to be reminded of this in a visceral, real way to remember that. We now look back on, we don't need to, to, to sacrifice a bull. We don't need the blood of that on our hands because we can look back at our Savior bloodied on a cross for us. We can look back on God himself on a cross for us. So we don't need the reminder of uh, slaughtering a lamb because we have the ultimate slaughtered lamb to look back upon, to remind us of our sins, to be finally and fully and really covered for them. So that one's not complicated at all, what it means to us. The sin offering, the guilt offering, it's Jesus. That one's not difficult, but let's go on. What about voluntary public act of obedience and worship? These uh, obedience offerings, the burnt offering and the grain offering. Is there anything in there? Is there a principle that God's teaching to his people back then that he still commands of us today? Yes. Uh, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and uh, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Romans one is very, very clear. Uh, And I'll, I'll mention why I put the Matthew in there in just a second, but the Romans is very clear. As Christians, we present what our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God, which is our spiritual worship. There we have sacrifice, worship, uh, obedience to the Lord. What are we giving to him? We're giving what? 100% of ourselves. Paul didn't say part of our body. He said all of it, all of you. You present your whole self as a living sacrifice. What does that remind you? What does that 100% remind you of? Giving 100% of something of yours to God sound like in an act of voluntary worship and obedience. That sounds like the burnt offering where you give 100% of something. No one else gets it. None of this goes to anything else. It's all to God. That should also remind us of something else. That should remind us of baptism where we symbolically die. We sacrifice ourselves. We offer ourselves to God in Christ's Uh, in Christ's death and come back in his resurrection, we're giving 100% of ourselves in a very public, voluntary, obedient way. You are not commanded uh, to be baptized in a way of, if you do not do this, you are not saved, but you are commanded in a way of obedience. Again, it's the burnt offering. There's a principle there. There's that giving of 100% voluntarily worshiping God in a public way. Again, these burnt offerings were very public. All of them were very public, but again, this was a very public thing. I included the the Matthew command there. I included the Great Commission because it's part of what we are supposed to do as living sacrifices in obedience to Christ once we are covered by his blood. Once we're covered by his blood, there are acts of obedience we are given to carry out. There is a a requirement to be accomplished, to be obedient to him. So we see that in there. We see that in the burnt offering. We see that obedience, that sacrificing 100%, that uh, uh, worshipful, voluntary, public act. Now, what about uh, moving on? Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. We're commanded to give of our abundance. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, after we read so much of Leviticus, how much of the language used right there kind of triggers you and goes, oh, that sounds a lot like what we were reading. That's a lot of the same language. Keep in mind, this is from Hebrews. He's writing to Jews. He's using this language not uh, uh, randomly. This is intentionally. He's using the sacrificial language. He is directly connecting them. Second Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, giving is a voluntary thing, an act of obedience to God. We offer up these sacrifices of praise, the fruit of our lips, just as you would offer the fruit in worship, the fruit of your labor of the field, of your harvest. Uh, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. You are to give of your abundance. You're also to give it to the church for the service of the church. Though we're not commanded to uh, come to our pastor after we've made him some nice little grain cakes and give them to him and make sure that you put your frankincense in there or it's not acceptable, We give of our money to the church, to the service of the church. We give of our labor, of our energy, of our uh, uh, 
abilities that God has gifted us with. We give of the fruit of our lips. Whenever we drop um, money into the offertory plate, we're offering the grain offering. We're worshiping God. We're being obedient to his word. Whenever we come and uh, set up the sound system before church, we are offering the grain offering. We're worshiping God. We're giving of our, uh, uh, the fruit of our labor to the Lord. Whenever we uh, are here gathered, praising God with our lips, we're giving of the fruit of our lips. We're acknowledging his name. We're offering the grain offering. We're continuing the service of the temple. That's what it means for us uh, now that we're, we're under Christ and we're all called to be priests, worshiping him. This is fascinating stuff to me. This is really interesting. And to me, it sheds a huge, huge light on just the importance of things. Uh, when we look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, when we look at these offerings that they're commanded to give, and they're so uh, uh, bloody and visceral and ceremonial, when you look at the principles behind them and you realize that, oh, that's, we're still commanded to do the same things. We're not commanded to go out and slaughter an animal, but we're still commanded to be covered by the blood of a sacrifice. We're still commanded to uh, be obedient to God. We also can't be obedient to him until we've done what? We've been covered by the blood of Jesus. We can't go out and start, uh, you know, baptism means nothing until you know Christ. Giving of yourself means nothing until you know Christ. All of your actions, all of your money, all of your praise means nothing until you've been covered by the blood of Christ. We are so lax and weak in the church when it comes to the seriousness of the things that we're commanded to do, the obedience that we're commanded, the order that we're supposed to do things in. And I hope this is starting to give a big picture of just the, the nature of all of this. And also how God has not changed. Though the specific actions he calls us to do have changed, the principles behind them have not changed. So I want to take a moment here of reflection. I want to take a moment of reflection as we think about the gravity of this salvation that Christ has bought, of this uh, uh, obedience that's required of us. And I want us all to think about where we stand with Christ. Are we covered by his blood? Have we accepted that offering? I want us to take a moment to think about obedience. Are we being obedient to his commands? Have we, uh, uh, once we've been saved, have we been baptized? Once we've been baptized, have we been giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our labor, our money, our praise to the Lord? So I want to take a moment to invite everyone into a time of reflection. Uh, an invitation to, if obviously if you have not done one of these things, if you have not been covered, your sins have not been covered by Christ, to give that to him. If you have not been baptized, to give that to him. If you're not being obedient, if there's a, a sin in your life that you've been going back to, that you need to recenter yourself on the blood of Christ and then go back into that uh, state of obedience to do that. So we're just going to take a minute here uh, of invitation, of reflection uh, to do that.
Let's please stand. There's a bigger reason why we just did that uh, beyond just including a little time of invitation and reflection inside of the sermon. It's because we're going on to the last thing. There's one more offering, one more sacrifice commanded. And I would hope that someone in here, it's already triggered in their mind what it was as we went through uh, everything else. Uh, maybe even someone got it when we started to read the descriptions of the fellowship offering. Uh, but there's another thing. There's an act of worship, an act of fellowship, an act of devotion, of communion with God that we're commanded to do. That sounds an awful lot like the fellowship offering, where you get to sit at table and have a meal with God. So as I go ahead and begin to read a little description of this uh, command that we're given, let's go ahead and pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 26, and then 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29 through 30 say, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But there's one more step to it. Verses 29, 30. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning what the body eats and drinks, uh, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So we have a, a act of devotion, an act of communion, an act of eating a meal with God that we're given to do but it also has restrictions and requirements upon it, that you need to come in a worthy manner, that you need to come in a, uh, a right way. And if you don't, though we don't face these kind of things nowadays, uh, to send a message, God was making it clear to the Corinthian church, that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. It's the peace offering. It's the same thing. It's getting to share a meal with God. Because ultimately, we all look forward throughout all history to the time when we will literally sit at table with God, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we will all have direct peace and communion with the Lord. I hope that sheds a little bit of a bigger light. Last time we did communion and I was here, 
I read a little bit of Revelation where we looked at that future state. Now we looked at the past state, and we're in the middle. We're connected to all of this. This is a lot bigger act than a little cup and a little bread. This is communion with our God. So we took that time of reflection also as a time to remember, to set ourselves right before we come, before the third thing, the act of fellowship that you have once you've been saved, covered by the blood, once you've been obedient, then you come before Christ at his table and you eat with him. And you share not only just with him, but with all believers throughout all of history, both all the Christians and uh, the Jews before that, and the believers before the nation of Israel, all of them, you get to share this meal, looking forward to the day when we all, every one of those people sit at table with Christ. So we remember his sacrifice in this, and we look forward until the day when we don't do this symbolically anymore. So with that, let's take of the bread. Let's remember Christ's body. Let's remember the sacrifice he made for us. Let's remember him broken on the cross. And as Paul said, we do this in remembrance of Christ. And let us also remember the blood that he spilled that came from that broken body. That blood that was shed so that we no longer have to go before an altar and slaughter a lamb to be reminded of our sins, but we go to Christ and have perfect offering, a covering in his blood. Let us thank the Lord for that blood and do this in remembrance of him. And in doing this, we proclaim his death until we sit at table with him. Now in conclusion, to wrap this all up a little bit, I hope it reminds you of a couple different things. One, that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow that the commands he's given us are good and they don't change. Though in times past, they needed that bloody and visceral and obvious reminder of things. And now we don't need that because we have the reality that is Christ. What verse did I start off with? that these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We have the substance, we no longer need the shadow, but the principles still remain. I hope this also reminds you that the Old Testament is not some obscure thing given to us for some historical context or whatever it is. No, it is still relevant today that God has been teaching us, teaching us the same things from all time. I hope it gives you a little bit more of a perspective as you look at a book like Leviticus that is uh, often joked about it being so boring uh, that it's the wall you can't get past in the Bible uh, or other jokes about just how, how uh, well, I'm just going to skip that one. Uh, I hope it gives you new life into it to look at this and go, wow, what is God teaching me? What is God teaching me through this? I hope it gives you a new appreciation for God's word, a new appreciation for the big picture, the big story that he's been painting through the whole word of God. I hope it gives you a new perspective on the, the uh, practices, the rituals, the commitments that we observe today. It gives a new level of seriousness, of gravity that 
when we do some of these things, we do some of these more uh, ritualistic things like communion, that you look at that and go, wow, that is so big and so good. You look at things like baptism and you look at the identifying with Christ's death and resurrection, the sacrifice that you offer of yourself 100% to the Lord with a new gravity. As you understand that now that I'm covered by the blood of Christ, I'm being obedient to him. I'm offering 100%. No one else gets any of me besides the Lord. It's all to him. And that now you can sit at table with God. I hope it gives you a new appreciation for the offerings that you give to Christ's church, for the offerings of your money, for the offerings of your time, your abilities, your talents, to the service of Christ's church. And I hope this went from something that, that looked like it might just be a little bit of information or uh, some boring sermon on the the sacrificial system into something that's real and deep and changes how you relate to the Bible and how you relate to God through these acts that we do. And so in conclusion, it's my prayer that we use this as a reminder of the things that we have, of the acts we're told to do, the obedience that's required of us, and we do it with new vigor and we read God's word with new joy. So let's close out in a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, holy, wonderful, glorious God, Lord, you are so good to us. You have been so good to your people throughout all of history, and we thank you for your son. We thank you that we have the substance to look back on. And we praise you for what you have done for your people. And I just pray that you use this time to grow us as we go out into our weekly lives, as we go out into the day-to-day, -day and we remember a little bit more of the Savior that died for us, of the obedience, of why we do and give of bringing more honor to you, Lord. So Lord, let all glory, let all honor, let all praise, let everything, let 100% of ourselves, day to day as a living sacrifice, as a living burnt offering, committed to you completely. Let it shine forth in our lives, Lord. Let others see what that looks like. So we praise you in the name of your holy, your righteous, your glorious son. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.